We're now going to turn to God's Word. The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, reading verses 7 to 18. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to to please their flesh, from flesh will reap their destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that you may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my body on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, we turn to uh, the very end of the book of Galatians, and we, we finish off our, our studies. And... Uh, if you're visiting, I hope there'll be things you can, uh, you can take away this morning if you haven't been here for the rest of the, uh, rest of the series. But we're going to do a little bit of summing up uh, as we go along. We've called it Galatians, Getting the Gospel Right. But I want to ask you a very simple question um, this morning. Why Galatians? That, that's the first question, is, is kind of why Galatians? What has Galatians been all about? And I want you to answer that question. Okay, what has Galatians... Um, been all about, I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, but I want you to think about it. Why do we have the book of Galatians? So what did the early church think was so important in this writing of, of Paul that they decided um, to preserve it? If you want to put the question like that. Um, why does God in his providence see that the Galatians was, was preserved? Um, uh, what is it all about? Why is it why is it important in God's mind? Okay, can you sum up Galatians in a sentence? <clears throat> righteousness, righteousness cannot be achieved by acts of law. And they have forgotten, the Galatians have forgotten, and maybe we've forgotten too. I, think, I don't think, if you want to try and improve on that, you can, but I don't think you can get much further. Um, what has Galatians been all about? We're free from law obedience as a way of getting right with God. Because it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, why? Because of us, because we're not strong enough. Uh, Because of the flesh, because we're weak. So there is no way of getting right with God uh, by acts of the law. We're free from law obedience as a way of staying right with God. You can't um, keep right with God by by works of, of law obedience for the same reason. Your rightness with God is a fixed point because of what Christ has done on the cross. The only way of being right with God is by faith 
uh, in Jesus Christ and his work, his, his perfect life lived for you, credited to you, his sacrificial death on the cross taking the punishment that you deserve. And that is fixed. That is a fixed point and your rightness with God is fixed from the moment you trust it is not earned. It cannot be earned. And so that kind of begs um, two questions. One is, well, how then am I going to act? Are you telling me that, that kind of how I live uh, is of no consequence? Well, of course we're not. But the question is, how are you going to act? What, but, but what is going to drive, what is going to motivate how you act? And the second question is, where does the law of Moses fit in? Or, or for that matter, where does any kind of moral achievement by effort fit in or not? So I want to ask you, let me ask you another question. But before we kind of start at Galatians, how did you feel about the law? Let's, let's narrow it down and say, how do you feel about the law of Moses uh, and, and the Ten Commandments? Did you love it or did you hate it? And I can't really tempt us to kind of show hands, but it won't. Did you kind of, when we talk about law, is your instinct, yo, law, I love law, or is your instinct, whoa, just feel threatened by law? Well, I think there are two two kind of extreme responses. There are people who love it in a certain kind of way. And I think quite often there are people with a, quite a lot of natural self-discipline. There may be people with a kind of like, have had a strong uh, moral upbringing. And to them the law is, some people love the law for wrong reasons. Let's put it like that. Because it's predictable and, and it's kind of bounded. And they're like a kind of morality which is bounded and, and clearly spelled out. And this open-ended morality of love the Lord with all your, uh, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself is just too, too vague for them. Because it's kind of bounded, it makes it measurable. They like that idea that they can kind of measure themselves against the law, but the problem with that, sometimes in those kind of people, is that the law makes them things comparable. And there is a danger that they compare themselves with other people against that law and, and, and maybe look down on other people for not having the same kind of self-discipline that they have. The other end of the spectrum, I think sometimes is that there's a, um, there's a group of people who hate the law or, the, or their instinct is, Ooh. why is that? Well, sometimes I think these are people who have experienced experienced failure, experienced moral failure, either something catastrophic or just something kind of persistent. They are typically people who feel powerless. And the law speaks to them of failure. The law speaks to them of weakness because they know they can't keep it and the law speaks to them condemnation. Which is right, which is wrong. Well, I want to tell you, as we've spelled it out there, both are wrong. That first person, the person on the right-hand end, loves the law because they think they have to keep it to stay acceptable to God and they feel that they can. That person on the left-hand end hates the law because they too think that they have to keep it to stay acceptable to God, except that they feel that they can't. Both are wrong because both are looking to be justified by the law. And we've discovered already that no one, by the law, no one, no one, no one will be justified. And so Paul spells it out again in today's reading. Uh, Towards the end, verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision 
means anything. What counts is new creation. So circumcision, this keeping the law, nor uncircumcision, this not keeping the law, doesn't mean anything. This law keeping doesn't mean anything. What counts is new creation. So what counts is that you're a, a changed being by the Spirit of God. You're a new creation. You've been, you've been born again by the Spirit. Is that not true? If you're a Christian this morning, you've been born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you're a new creation in Christ, then, then the Spirit is continuing to be at work, prompting you, leading you. To, more, to be more and more like Jesus. And of course, we're all looking forward that we one day when all of creation will be made new. Christ will return, all things will be made new. So what counts is new creation. But actually it's interesting because Paul said something a little bit similar to this earlier on. Only it was different. He said, for in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, hang on a minute, Paul, which is it? Is it what counts? Is it new creation or or what counts? Is it uh, faith expressing itself through love? Well, they're, they're not exclusive things. What counts is faith. Faith is seeing the unseen and having confidence in it, according to Hebrews. So Paul says what counts is new creation. Yeah, that's right. But what counts then is is faith. That is your confidence in these unseen realities. Your confidence that uh, you are made new in Christ. Your confidence in your new relationship with God. That love we said shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. Your confidence in God's future plans all then expressing itself in love. So you trust this new creation reality and expresses itself through acts of love, out of love, in love, to other people. So I want to draw a picture, sort of. Here's you, okay. Here are those two caricatured wrong responses to the law. This is what the cross does to them. Just wipes them out. There is no justification. No one will be justified by um, works of the law. But one of the things Paul's not talked about in this letter, which I think we need to bring in at this point, is that when you are a new creation, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he takes the law and writes it on your hearts. Law goes from being an external thing to being um, an internal thing. And what the Holy Spirit continues to do is he, uh, he continues to, um, to prompt our hearts uh, to keep the law. So what about, what about then the, the external law? What about the, the law of Moses? What about the, the Ten Commandments? Well, what we need to see is that, is that the, the law is the heartbeat of God. The law then is that kind of expression uh, of the character of God, at least the moral law. There's an expression of the heartbeat of God. Uh, and so we can love it. But we can only love it when we get things in the right order. And the order is fundamental. 
when you know that you are loved and forgiven by God first, then it's possible to love the law as the expression of your father's heart that you want to copy. But it has to come that way up. Get it the other way up and you get back under the yoke of the law. If you feel that first you have to obey the law and then you'll, then you'll know the father's love, then you're back under the yoke of the law. But get it the other way around, know first the father's love. And then love the law. And we can love the law not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but we can love it and freely give obedience to the law back to God. So here's our motivation for, for wanting to, to be like God, to, to do godly things. It's because God has loved us uh, and given Christ for us. Uh, and the law then is that expression of, uh, of God's heart. Um, and we would want to do it cheerfully, um, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, uh, but given back to God. But here's a second reason today, as Paul comes to the end of the letter, why... Um, we would want to do the right thing. Understanding, first of all, that our motivation for Christian living, our motivation is not justification. Our motivation is not justification. We're not motivated by guilt or by um, compulsion or by uh, fear. We're motivated, but okay, by loving thankfulness. But there's, here's a further motivation today, which is this, that you will reap what you sow in the Christian life. In a very kind of practical way, Paul says, you will reap what you sow. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps um, what he sows. So there's this old saying which says, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Um, Sow a character, reap a destiny. And John Stott says that's good biblical thinking. The things that you do at the small level, become things that you do at a bigger and, and bigger level. So you throw a thought, well, the things that you think about, the things that are constantly going through your mind will, will influence then what you do. The things that you persistently do, do become habits. Things become habits, then become ingrained in your character. And on your character then, you will reap a destiny. So the things that you think and do bear inevitable fruit, consistent with what you've sown. They come back bigger. That's the point about sowing and reaping. They come back bigger, even if it takes time to work out. So don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I don't know why we haven't got gender equality in the kind of new NIV here, but I presume it goes for women as well. Okay, a man reaps what he sows. And not because God is is vengeful, because this is simply how he has caused his world to work. So don't be deceived, Paul says. Don't kid yourself to think you can sow things to self and to sin and and reap uh, things from the Holy Spirit. So let's have a look at it, really, just uh, very briefly. Paul says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What you think 
or do, even on the small level, will be grabbed, as it were, by, by one power or the other, either by your flesh, by your bodily baser desires, or by um, the Holy Spirit of God. And whichever of those you sow to, you will find yourself increasingly um, under its power. If you sow to the flesh, you, you'll find yourself increasingly um, enslaved by sin. If, if you sow to the Holy Spirit, you'll find yourself increasingly transformed by him, actually increasingly um, set free. And I think there's kind of a huge motivation here, isn't there, for, um, for Christian living? I find it in, in my life to be practically true. You, you sow to sin, uh, all it does is it gets more powerful uh, and you end up feeling trapped. You sow to the Holy Spirit, sometimes that feels like, initially when you're doing it, it, it kind of feels hard work or it feels law, but increasingly the Holy Spirit then changes you and you become increasingly free. So either the power uh, of sin will grow or the influence uh, of the Holy Spirit will grow. And I think there's great reassurance here because I think one of the things you, you cannot do before you became a Christian is you can't make yourself new. It's a sovereign work of God in your life to bring you, bring you to life in Christ. I think it's true in the Christian life. You cannot make yourself grow. It's only the Holy Spirit, uh, a work of the Spirit of God that enables you to grow and actually make real change. But Paul uses the picture of kind of planting a seed. And so I, I don't know you kind of, um, who, who are gardeners? Who are the gardeners amongst us? Show of hands. Okay, so very few of you actually plant, practically plant seeds. But, uh, but you, you know the picture. You plant a little seed. What, what does it need to grow? You know, they do it in school. It needs light. It needs earth. It needs water. It needs kind of warmth. It needs the right temperature. And then you, then you sow it, and what happens? Okay, you sit there and you will it to grow. Do you? And actually, no, you don't because you can't. You could, you could sit by the pot and, and kind of, I don't know, kind of will it or, 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 or talk to it, but you cannot make it grow. You actually cannot make a blind bit of difference. You just sow it and, and give it the right, um, the right conditions. And it's just a lovely thing, it, part of God's creation, isn't it, that God has given these apparently little dead bits of wood um, that, you, that you stick in the ground, this amazing ability under his providence to, to kind of grow and, um, and make plants. But it's the same spiritually, I think. You were once a lump of spiritual deadwood to which God has given life. And I think actually you cannot make yourself grow. You can only sow. You can only sow to the Holy Spirit. And what do we mean by that? Well, actually, I think to sow to the Holy Spirit is actually to follow his lead and to follow his promptings. To start to think what he's prompting you to think, to start to do what he's prompting you to do. And when you do that as sowing, the Holy Spirit will see that a crop results from it. He will bring his power to bear. I think that's fantastically encouraging the Christian life. But let's then just think about it in practice, briefly. So sowing and reaping, uh, 
sowing is and reaping are, are, are consistent. In other words, what, what you sow, you will reap. Okay, if you, sow, um, if, you, if you sow a tomato, you get a tomato. If you sow wheat, um, you get wheat. Um, why, would you, why would you think that if you sowed thorns, you would get melons? And yet in the Christian life, so often we're, we're, we're sowing to, to our flesh and we're expecting to kind of reap something of the Holy Spirit. Why would you think that if you sowed, sowed nettles, you would get bananas? So sowing and reaping is consistent. It, it is inevitable. If you sow seeds, they come up sooner or later. It might take time, but if you sow them, they come up. It's, I don't know if this is even a word, it's multiplicative. <laughs> Works, doesn't it? You get back more than you put in. That's the nature of sowing and reaping, isn't it? But isn't that both encouraging and horrifying? If you're sowing to the flesh, if you're sowing to your sinful nature, it is going to come back. But it is going to come back more and stronger and bigger. Whereas if you sow to the Holy Spirit, the same is true. It's going to come back more and stronger and bigger. And that's just fantastically encouraging. So don't be deceived what you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap, Paul says, destruction. I think what that means, if you sow to the flesh, is your world will fall apart in smaller or larger ways. So I missed one out, didn't I? It's long-term, it might take time. It might take time, so don't be deceived. Okay. Because if you sow into the flesh, it might seem like you're getting away with it, but it will come back in time. And again, when you're sowing to the Holy Spirit, sometimes it feels like nothing's happened, but it will come in time. But if you sow to the flesh, your world will break down in small and big ways. You will reap destruction. So if you sow unfaithful thoughts you will receive you will reap strain in your marriage if you sow to please your stomach you will reap weight or you will reap type 2 diabetes it's just the way the world works what you sow you will reap if if you sow for self-protection in your friendships um, you will reap isolation If you sow angry words, you will reap um, relationship breakdown. If you sow gossip, you will reap mistrust. If you sow idleness, you will reap poverty. If you sow a lack of spiritual interest in the things of God, you will receive a sense of distance from God. Starts to sound like Proverbs, doesn't it? And that's a helpful connection. And ultimately, if you carry on sowing in this direction, you may yet prove that you were never saved. And reap the ultimate destruction, which is to be shut out of, uh, shut out of God's presence and eternally destroyed. Eternally destroyed in hell forever. Which doesn't bear thinking about. Whereas if you sow to the Spirit, you will receive eternal life. If you sow to the Spirit, you will... Um, receive the life of God or start to express the life of God now. We know what those, uh, those fruit are. They are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So the encouragement is, which of those do you think you don't have very much of? Do you feel like you're lacking joy or do you feel you lack self-control? 
Well, Paul says if you start to sow, if you start to sow in that direction under the prompting of the Holy Spirit on the word of God, you will reap. You will reap it. It will come back to you bigger and stronger. So we've just about, we've come to the end. We've come to the end of Galatians. And I love this bit in verse 11 where Paul says, see what large letters I use as I write to you um, with my own hand. He's uh, been using a scribe most likely and you get the picture that he grabs the the pen um, out of the scribe's hand and and writes writes a big greeting um, at the end. And it's either because he's kind of really exercised about this, which is probably true, um, but there are suggestions that maybe Paul did have problems with, it, with, with his eyesight. Uh, there's, been, there's a suggestion, isn't it, that that's his thorn uh, in the flesh. So Paul says, look, I'm writing, this is my, this is my personal greeting, but this is, my, this is my final call to you, and I want you to take this seriously. And he wants to give them a final warning about these um, false teachers. They want to impress people by means of the flesh. They want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want to be able to boast about you. And here's three ways then to, to spot false teachers as we come to an end. They want to impress you with, the, with their discipline things. They want to boast that you follow them. And they want to find some ways uh, of avoiding the, uh, the offence of the cross. And Paul's not one of them. Paul's a teacher who loves them. It's making this heartfelt call for them. It's it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to feeling that you have to be justified by the law as well as by Christ. He says, we're just going to boast in the cross. Going to boast in the cross. This is that cross that has set you free from the law. This is the cross that has done what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature. Set you free from circumcision and uncircumcision. And because you're free, it's, this is the cross that kills the power of, of the world. He says, um, the cross through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The gospel sets me free to, from condemnation. Sets me free from obligation um, to the law. And so it gives me this right kind of self-image and uh, self-worth even uh, that, that you're loved by God. Loved by God simply because uh, he, he's, he's chosen you. And when you know that, then the, the world is crucified. You don't want to carry on as the rest of the world does. You want to love God uh, and be like God. And when you know you're loved by God, you're set free from trying to prove yourself uh, before the world or, or before anybody else. The world, when you know the cross, the world cannot threaten you or seduce you. So I just want to finish with those two questions. Paul ends, he says, peace and and mercy to all who follow this rule. 
What's the rule? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. What are you going to do with the law of Moses? You're going to keep it second. You're going to keep it in second place. And what I mean by that is you're going to keep grace in first place. You're going to keep that knowledge of the love of God um, in first place. And you're going to keep the law second. And then, out of love for God, you can be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, as we said a week or so ago, not just uh, in the terms of giving money, but I think in, in all terms of obedience to him. You're not to, not to bring... What, what joy does it bring his heart for you to bring him obedience uh, reluctantly or, or under compulsion? Not much. Know that you're loved and bring it cheerfully. And then the second question that we started with, how are you going to live? What are you going to sow? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You can't, you can't sow one lot of stuff that's essentially to the flesh and to self and think you're going to reap uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't work. What are you going to sow? What I want you to do is, um, as uh, musicians come back up, I just want you to have a think about that. So at the end of Galatians, if you delight yourself in the Lord, um, the psalm says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If, for those who kind of have been in the past law lovers because they think they can justify themselves, and those who have been law haters because they know that they can't, if you delight in yourself in the Lord, then things will start to come right. If you delight yourself in the Lord, then you will start to realize um, it will start to correct your motivation for loving the law. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you will start to, uh, you'll start to want to look at the law, even if you're a law hater, because you want to delight his heart. So at the end of Galatians, I want you to uh, have a determination. I want you to have a determination to go away and delight yourself in the Lord. And I want you to um, go away and have a determination to be a cheerful giver in all aspects of life. So let me pray, and then um, Lee will pick up. And while we're just quiet, just think again. What are you sowing? What are you going to sow? Lord, forgive us where we've been sowing to self and expecting to reap the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we recognize it's a really simple principle, and yet, Lord, the, the, the sin that's left deceives us. And Lord, we don't want to go away today being people who mock you because we sow one thing and expect to reap another. Lord, we want to be people who follow this rule. It's not about circumcision, about uncircumcision. It's about new creation. And we ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with our spirit. Amen.